Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org. Or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. Good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Awesome. Good to hear it. Um, When I first started out preaching, there wasn't YouTube. There was no... uh, uh, on a podcast version of a sermon. You couldn't do anything like that. So if you got sick or you couldn't make a Sunday because uh, you were golfing or something like that, um, you just were kind of out of luck, except for we had this fancy new technology at the church that I worked at uh, called cassette tape. And what we would do is I would get up, and I mean, I know this is making me sound old. I'm really not. I'm a lot younger than I look. But we would, I would get up and I would you know, I'd press these two buttons to record myself preaching, and the, it was right there on the podium. It was this tape. Now, we only had this one lady that needed it every week, but, you know, it's worth doing. You know, you, 99 sheep, one's missing. You try to serve. You try to do what you can. And so she was taking that cassette tape. So I would record it, and then I'd pop it out of the recorder, and then I would hand it to my distributor, and then she would go visit her Sunday afternoon, and she would, she would be able to listen to the sermon and participate, you know, as much as possible. So this seemed to be working uh, okay, except for one Sunday. I did my whole routine. I recorded the sermon. I took my tape. I handed it to my distributor. And it was a very, very sweet old lady uh, that attended the church. And she said, well, actually, you know, this sister, that this, this one that was stuck at home, uh, who, by the way, had never been to church and heard me speak. She'd only heard me speak on cassette tape. She goes, this sister doesn't want to listen to the sermons anymore. And I'm like, oh, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, she asked me not to bring them around anymore. And I'm like, okay, well, so yes, this is my first time working at a church. I'm young, I'm inexperienced, I'm insecure, but I am, I'm trying my best. Like, this is the best sermon that I can prepare. Like, this is the best that I know how to do. I can't do any better. I don't know what else to do. I don't know what this person wants. And they had really liked the previous guy, so you're kind of in the the person's shadow. So it gets a little tricky. Uh, He had gone to a bigger church, and nobody wanted to see him go. So, you know, here I am. This kid shows up. And so this brutally honest lady that had never seen me in person decides she doesn't want to hear my sermons anymore. And, you know, and it's basically, I'm I'm hearing that, and I'm saying, oh, she's telling me I'm bad at my job, and I'm just right brand new at this job. And so I think, well, what should I do? I should go visit this, this poor lady, you know, see what's going on. And so that week, during the week, I went over to her house. And she was, she was homebound, not really bedridden. So we sat in her living room. We talked a little bit. And uh, I was like, you know, I understand you don't want to hear the sermons anymore. And she said, yeah, yeah, I don't want to hear them. And she gave me the sermon from the previous week that she had listened to. And she goes, here, they're terrible. Listen for yourself. They're terrible. Like, wow, this lady is hardcore. Like, you don't need this kind of honesty and truth in your life. You know, just, can you please hint a little bit? Can you please, like, soften the blow? They're terrible. Go listen to yourself. So cruel and unusual. But I took it home and I listened to it. Like, what is going on? And she was right. It was terrible. Now, it wasn't the content, although I'm sure that was questionable. What had happened was, is there was a malfunction in the recorder and it was recording it at triple speed. So she was going home thinking their new preacher is like a chipmunk on methamphetamines or something. It's the craziest thing. And she just literally, it was terrible and she couldn't listen anymore. And she was absolutely right. And I was very grateful that it wasn't as personal as it could have been. So I say all that to say, I'm glad for YouTube. And I want to kind of introduce you to the idea of what a cassette tape was. Anybody in the room old enough to have recorded off the radio the songs that they wanted to listen to? 
Wow, yes. You just sat around listening to that DJ and you were like, click, and you were like, will you stop talking? I'm trying to get the intro of this song. That's how old some of us are. So we've got these cassette tapes on here. We would collect our favorite songs, the songs that we wanted to listen to. They were our own personal uh, greatest hits. And the reason I called this sermon series Greatest Hits is because if you were to track Jesus down in the first century out in the wilderness, if he was on a plane or on a mountain and you were see this crowd gathered around him, you would have heard him teach the things that we're working through. There's a longer teaching, a more extended teaching in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, but Luke offers us a condensed 29 verses, a condensed version of what Jesus was essentially going around the country teaching. Um, and it, it, this whole thing, it just starts as this tiny little movement where he gathers a few disciples and then there's crowds. And of course, he gets a lot of pushback from Pharisees and the religious leaders. And then eventually he gets some pushback from Rome because they get him on their side. But this message, these truths, these ideas, they resonate so deeply that they start to spread around the world. And, and, and within about 300 years, 300 or so years, even the Roman emperor at the time said, hey, this is a tidal wave that I can't stop. So let's just say that we'll, we'll just call the empire Christian now. And whether or not he was really converted is some matter of some debate. But this had just spread all over the world. And here we are 2,000 years later, nearly 2,000 years later. And the things Jesus said, when we read those words, they resonate as deep, profound truth by which we want to live our lives, even if we don't fully understand how or what that means or how to do it. This is, this is deep, deep truth that, that, that matters for how we operate in the world today. So we've been working through this sermon series, Greatest Hits. And again, I don't want to imply that Jesus had some, some teachings that fell flat and he's like, let's edit that out. I'm just saying that this is, this is an example of everything that Jesus taught about what it meant to live and move and operate as a faithful God-following, Jesus-loving human in the world, what that looked like. So we're on our third part today. We've worked through some important stuff, but uh, the part we want to talk about today, that can be a little tricky. It can be a little dicey. Gallup did, Gallup is an organization that does a lot of national polling, and they did a national poll about the reputation that Christians have among non-Christians. So what kinds of ideas, what kinds of words, what vocabulary do non-Christians associate with Christians? And I think these polls sometimes have flaws, but they give a snapshot of popular thought in the culture. And so they compiled all the answers and kind of gave each answer a one-word label. So there was one word associated, and they did like a top 10. But does anybody have any guesses as to what the number one word associated with Christians by non-Christians was? Any guesses? Oh, that's a good one. I have a slide if you want to go to the next slide for me. Hypocrite is a good one. But it's not. 87% of folks, if you were doing Family Viewed, this would be a number one winning answer, was judgmental. Was judgmental. And some of you are like, yeah, that's exactly right. I have felt judged by Christians and I are one. So that's a tough one. I know what it means to feel like that. Now, you may rightly object in the room. Some of you are like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Okay, sure, Christians can be judgmental, but so can everybody. Everybody's judgmental. Everybody in the whole world can be a little judgmental. So it doesn't really matter if you're a Christian or not, just sort of like a human problem. And that's true, but... Non-Christians know that Christians were told by the guy that sort of started it all that we were not supposed to judge. So we're 
very directly going against an order from our number one guy and people know that. So they're like, we are not beholden to those rules. So you're judging even though Jesus said not to judge. And when you do it, it means that you're being hypocritical, which was, by the way, the number two most associated word with Christians. But you're right. This is a human problem. Being judgmental is a human problem. It's kind of a national pastime, by the way. A lot of our TV shows are based around the idea of judging people. In fact, that's the whole plot. A few years ago, this was in 2020, there was a trend, online trend, primarily on uh, what was then known as Twitter, and it was they would, they would put up four different things. It could be candy bars or fast food places, and they would say, one of these things has to go. So rather than saying, this is what I really like, you would say, this is what I really don't like. And one, uh, one person decided, I'm going to put up some faces of some people, famous people named Chris. So they've got this whole category of a bunch of Chris's, and they said, one of them has to go. Now, some of you know who these Chris's are, some of you don't. I don't suppose it matters either way. But all these famous people uh, named Chris, they're all successful, they're all good-looking, they're all likable guys, but just arbitrarily, we have decided as a society, one of them has to go. And this is just an exercise in thought. Nobody's actually going to execute anybody. It's nothing like that. One of these has to go. I don't like that specific person. So, of course, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people chime in, retweet it, comment. And the overwhelming consensus, does anybody have any guesses on which Chris needed to go? Yeah, you guys are, do you not like him either? I love him. That's really surprising. I love Chris Pratt. But why do you think they said Chris Pratt has to go? Anybody, any guesses? Oh, you guys are really good. It was associated, ideas, unpopular ideas associated with his Christian faith. That was the primary reason they said that guy has to go, just arbitrarily out of the blue. And it got so dark and ugly that some of Chris Pratt's friends had to chime in. In fact, Iron Man actually chimed in and said, hey, you guys need to knock it off. Robert Downey Jr. said, he's a great guy. I don't know what's wrong with you. It got dark and ugly, and I think there's this, this, this part of us, a part of the human condition that really enjoys this idea of, of saying, what is wrong with this person? What is wrong with this situation? Speaking of that, we actually do have several Alexes here at church, uh, and so <laughs> I could only find three, so the bottom one is Alexander the Great. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. That's just a total joke. Being judgmental is a human problem. We judge people, and really, and I I realize I'm being broad and maybe a little judgmental, but we judge people all the time about everything. It's a human problem. We judge people about what generation they happen to be born in. You know those millennials. Okay, boomer. These Gen Z. They happen to be born on a certain year, and we're like, forget them. Or how about countries or cities or neighborhoods? I would never travel there. I would never go to that part of town. It's judgmental. How about people's stuff and their outfits and their cars and their homes? How about their vocabulary, the way that they use words or the words that they use? Or how about their political leanings, whether they're, they're progressive or conservative? <laughs> you voted for who? Get out of my life. You wouldn't say that to them, but that's what's going on in a person's mind. Or how about theological leanings? And we use the same categories. And unfortunately, sometimes we've overlapped the theological and the political to the degree that we associate them the same. Theological 
theological and political leanings end up having the same implications. We, by the way, we even judge judgmental people. They're so judgmental. Ugh, the worst. I can't stand them. And I'm not even mentioning kind of the isms because we all understand that the isms are really bad. And, and the truth is, with judgmentalism, you can judge either side of an issue. For, for example, let me give you an example. This is how good we get at it. If somebody you know is in worse shape than you, like worse physical shape than you, you can just be like, they really need to take better care of themselves. I mean, come on, eat a salad every once in a while. Go on a walk, seriously. And if somebody happens to be in better shape than you, do they not have a life? What do they go into the gym four times a day? At least I enjoy my food. I don't care if I live forever, but I'm going to enjoy it while I'm here. It doesn't even matter the issue. We can judge both sides of it. Any side of what happens to be going on just because it makes us feel a certain way. So let me, let me just say this. Judging people is fun, right? You don't want to admit it. Judging people is fun. I think it releases endorphins. I don't know. Maybe. Ask somebody who knows. Judging people is easy. I mean, people give us endless material. I mean, just look around the room. It's so easy. It's fun. It's easy. It's fast. It doesn't t- you don't even have to get to know them. You can just walk by them and give them a scan. And you'd be like, I know, I know all about them based on the way that they dress, based on the way that they act, based on the way that they conduct themselves in public. It's fast. And it just, it feels so good going down. And, and the truth of the matter is, it reveals this ugly truth because I think judgmentalism, and this is something that's tough for us to admit, in a way when we do that, it masks our insecurities at their expense. It masks the problems within us, the issues within us, the struggles within us, the things that we don't want to think about. It's just easier to think about them and what's wrong with them rather than thinking about, man, what could we do? What could be better? What could be transformed in us? Have you ever been on the receiving end of judgmentalism? Where, I mean, they just, a little scan, like, bzz, bzz, and you're like, they ju- I think I just got judged. I think I just got dismissed. They just put me in a category. Something you wore, something you said, something in your past, mm, labeled, put aside. It's an awful feeling. It's an awful feeling. So fine. All right, Patrick, great. We read the scripture earlier. Luke read that for us out of Luke chapter 6. Jesus said it. Let's just all agree on that. Let's just all do that. Let's just all agree. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and give. That sounds great. Let's just do that. No judgment, no condemnation. Let's all agree together here. Let's all Let's all decide that we are never going to have or express a negative opinion about anyone else, okay? No? All in favor say aye? No, don't say aye because that's not what we're talking about. Because our culture has decided on that and we've landed on this idea of tolerance that doesn't allow us to say, hey, I think something is wrong. And I think there is something dangerous. And I think something does need to be changed in that person's life. And, and, and so hard because passages like this is this one place where what, what Christians believe and what it seems like is currently popular in culture kind of mesh. And it's just easy for us to say, take a stand and say, yeah, let's all just agree that anything that we disagree with, we're just not going to ever express it. But I, I think that's, that's a problem in itself. So do not judge. Well... 
Look at, look at some of the other things that are talked about in Scripture. This is John chapter 7, verse 24. This is the same exact Greek word, John 7, 24. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Okay, so we won't judge by appearances, but we still have to judge. So should we adjust? What, what does that mean? So there is some judgment. Or how about uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2? He says, and this is an interesting uh, scenario, and it would be fun to talk about the background of it, but people in the church were taking one another to court. They were suing one another. And who knows? Maybe it was property disputes or maybe it was custody battles. I mean, who knows? We don't, he doesn't tell us exactly what was happening, but they were ending up in court. And he says, listen, don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases among yourselves? And so it seems like Jesus, at least in other places, in other gospels, says, no, no, you should judge. Just be careful how you do it. And then Paul says, yeah, you definitely need to be judging, especially if there's some like legal dispute or legal issue. You got to judge that stuff. In a few verses in the passage in Luke chapter 6, he's going to call the people he's talking to hypocrites. He's going to be like, you hypocrites. That seems judgmental. So Jesus says, do not judge. And then just a few words later, judges of the crowd. What's going on? What, how, how do we navigate this? This is one of my favorites about this, John chapter 8, verse 16, where Jesus says, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But then the very next verse says, but if I do judge... My decisions are true. And it's like, wait a second, Jesus, you passed judgment on no one, but, but you did. You called people, we, talk, we talked about this in class today, you called people vipers, and you called Herod a fox. I mean, that's, that's, that's judgmental. So how do we navigate this? I mean, and, and how about when people should have used better judgment? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you had a single friend and they were starting a new relationship and you're like, you're getting scammed. And what are you talking about? You've never met this person in person. Well, yeah, but, you, and they just asked to borrow $20,000. Well, yeah, and their profile picture is Brad Pitt. Come on, you're getting scammed. But that's judgmental. I feel good. I feel happy. No, you're going to get hurt. We tell our children to judge strangers as dangers, right? Yeah, don't, don't. If he drives a white van that doesn't have windows, don't get in it. Well, that's judging by appearances. Well, that's all you got to go on. We judge our children's friends. Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that out loud, children, if you're in the room. Uh, some of your parents judge your friends. No, you cannot go to Chuck's house. Chuck is weird and his parents are sketchy. No, you cannot do that. I don't think it's safe. We have to exercise moral judgment. We have to do that. It's how we navigate the world, right? If humans didn't have some sort of moral compass, then what? it would just be chaos. It would just be mass chaos. And you have to work against outcomes that you think are wrong, that other people think are right. In fact, I was thinking about this. We have so many new faces that are checking church out. But isn't finding and joining a church an exercise in judgment? Isn't it? When you go to a new church, I know everybody's probably been at this situation at some point. You don't visit a new church and then get in the car and debrief afterwards and be like, wow, the shade of gray on the walls? Mm, I like that. I could sit in there every Sunday. Or, you know, nobody says, oh, they went with the four-inch cushion on the seats. Mm, I could get some good naps during a sermon in there. Nobody does that. It's not how we assess a church. We walk in, and there's really essentially two things. It boils down to two things. Number one, it boils down to, are they a weirdo cult or something? What do they believe, right? And then the second thing is, were they friendly? Were they kind? We're, we're, we're assessing them, usually just based on a 90 or so minutes on a Sunday morning. I mean, we, and we should. That should happen. So what are we saying? Are we saying, do not judge unless you should judge? Then do judge? 
I guess? Is that what, how, how, how do we navigate this? Well, let's, let's walk through this and then we'll apply it and it should be fast. If my sermon goes long, please don't judge me. <laughs> this is all the same exact Greek word we've been navigating through here. Uh, all the same exact Greek word. The, the, the word krino is, is the word uh, being used. And it's, it's, it's an interesting word. Um, have you ever had somebody tell you something that you initially thought was a compliment and then upon later reflection, <laughs> you were like, oh, I don't think that was a compliment, right? Have you ever maybe had, I don't know, have you ever had somebody say to you, wow, dinner was surprisingly good? <laughs> yeah? <laughs> Some of you have. I see hands. How about this? Oh, your new haircut really slims down your face. All right? Wait a second. I don't think that's a compliment. What a bold choice to wear that to church today. Wow, good for you, you know? Some words can be good or bad kind of depending on how they're being used, exactly how we mean them. The word decent can be good or bad. He's a decent man. How is dinner? Decent. That's <laughs> not the same, right? Interesting is a great Minnesota word. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It's <laughs> interesting. Or how about cheap? Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that person, that, man, dinner was cheap. Uh, Steve is cheap. You know? Same word. Same word. In English, we had to come up with a bunch of words to do the heavy lifting of this one Greek word. So there's, and there's negative and positive. For example, the negative uh, of this word would be words like judgmental, hypercritical, dismissive, censorious, which is a fun one, uh, disparaging and intolerant. That, that's what, what it means to judge. It means what it's to, to judge and dismiss, and we're, we're not supposed to do that. But then it also means, by the same token, it means things like discerning and judicious and shrewd and perceptive and prudent and sagacious. I had to look that up, how to pronounce it and what it meant. But, and you're thinking, well, did you use a thesaurus to that? Uh, yes, I did use a thesaurus to, to do that. Um, you could also say I used a word finder and a lexicon um, and a synonym finder. How to be judgmental. How to be judgmental. Um, I want to bring somebody up on stage. Jimmy, would you mind helping me? I didn't ask Jimmy to do this, so... He's feeling very uncomfortable. Oh, man, he's already on his way. Sorry, Rachel. Uh, next time, okay? All right. So I want you to, I, I want you to do something for me. Uh, I want you to think up some words that you, not about Jimmy, okay? Do not describe Jimmy, but just describe how the types of things people might observe about a person, just facts about a person by which they might judge them, okay? What are some facts about a person, not Jimmy, that you might judge a person? Can you think of anything? Young. Young. Jimmy is young, and people might judge, oh, Jimmy's way too young. Okay, for sure, for sure. What else? What are some other good examples? Uh, What's that? Good looking. Oh, these are so encouraging over here, aren't they? They're just so... So thoughtful. Uh, let's, say, let's say Jimmy had a face tattoo. Okay? Let's say Jimmy had a face tattoo. Might we say, hmm, that tells me a little something about Jimmy and his choices. Hmm, I wonder what's going on in his life that he just got himself a face tattoo. And particularly, what was that face tattoo? So that might be something. These, were, these would be observable facts about Jimmy that you could assess and say, hmm, this might tell me something about him. Maybe where Jimmy's from. Do you, does anybody in here know where Jimmy's from? California. <laughs> California, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Or maybe Jimmy came into church and you walked past him in the hallway and you said hello and Jimmy didn't even turn and acknowledge you. Not just once, but twice. That is a fact. That happened. It didn't really happen. But that kind of thing happens. And those are the facts of a situation by which we make assessments about what is going on. Maybe the purchase they make or the way that they dress or something that, that they product they use. That's fine. We can't help but observe facts about a person, right? You go to a store, you go to a public place, you go to the state fair, and you can observe facts about a person. So we note the facts. That's, that's just the way that we are, and it's just, it's just the way that it is. It is. But then we've got to make this next move if we want to be really good judgmental people. We've got to begin to draw conclusions about the facts. So what we need to do is we need to strip away any complexity or nuance about Jimmy and his situation and reduce him to those facts and what we believe those facts mean about him. So for example, Jimmy's from California. What do we believe that means about him? Well, he probably thinks this way. He probably thinks he's cooler than everybody. He probably loves, I don't know, taxes. I don't know. I don't know what. I have no idea, right? But whatever it is. So we strip away this complexity and nuance. It's too much work to, to factor in any mitigating circumstances because we really lack the imagination to do that. And, and sometimes we want to be judgmental. It's just fun. If I'm feeling bad about myself, well, I can just judge Jimmy a little bit and feel a little better. <laughs> At least I'm not from California, right? At least I don't have that on my resume. And it's just easier. So, so the problem is when we do this, we can't help but oversimplify a person. So because they, and this is, this is how we would fill in the blank, because they are this fact, they must be, and this is when we put in the assumption about who they are or what's going on in them. So, so, for example, because Jimmy was, fact, late for work, Jimmy must be, assumption, lazy. Because we can't imagine any other reason why Jimmy would be late for work, right? Those Californians, you know how they are. They're so lazy, right? Uh, because, and this could happen all over the place, because you're in Walmart and the kid is screaming, right? <laughs> because their kid is screaming, they must be a bad parent. We strip away any complexity, any nuance. We have no idea what's going on in that kid's life, what's going on in that parent's life. We have no idea. We just make this assumption. And, and making assumptions is always dangerous, I know, but this isn't the full problem yet because it's inevitable. We don't know what we don't know. And... By the way, for you judgmental people who are sitting there saying, well, yeah, I'm a little judgmental, but you know what? I'm always right. <laughs> maybe you're good at being judgmental, and maybe your assumptions are right, but it's this next move that messes us up, and I think it's what Jesus is actually addressing. We form a reasonable response. So what we do is we say, okay, because Jimmy is fact, then he must be assumption. Therefore, he doesn't deserve my whatever. He doesn't deserve my time. He doesn't deserve my kindness. He doesn't deserve my energy. He doesn't deserve my interaction. And what I've done is I've taken a fact and I've jumped all the way to some negative response and I've conflated the two to feel like what, how I responded was okay. You can sit down, Jimmy. I appreciate it. I, thanks for being judged. And I think what happens is, is this where, that's where judgment moves into condemnation. Of course, Jesus differentiated the two in that passage that we read. 
And we recognize that we can't dismiss people for certain things, you know, certainly the way that they were born, although we find other ways to do that. But if their circumstances are a result of some choice, a ba particularly a bad choice, then we feel the, the right to just take the brakes off and judge them all we want. All we want. Judge, condemn, condemn. I've mentioned this before, and I'll probably keep mentioning it because it's, it's, it opened my eyes to the realities. I, I, before Corrine and I worked with the foster care system, it was so easy for me to look at some parent who had lost their children and say, what is wrong with you? Get your act together. Come on, it's not that hard. Other people can do it. But then you go through these, the, this, this system and you realize that they are often losing their kids for a choice that they made, that they did not have to make. And so you're like, okay, well, I'm going to judge you up and down. And then you start to get to know them. And you start to get to know their situation, the parents. So, for example, in our situation, we had these kids come into our home, three initially, and the kids are scared. They don't know what's going on. They're uncertain. And you just, your heart breaks for these innocent little children. And it's just so easy. Those are the facts of the situation. Their kids were taken away for something. And those are the facts of the situation. And it's easy to say, their mom, their dad, I can't believe they would do this thing that resulted in their kids getting taken away, they must be fill in the blank. And because they are fill in the blank, then I can judge them, I can dismiss them, I don't have to be kind to them. But in our situation, and I certainly think in a lot of situations, it gets a little more complex once you start to get to know people. Because you start to interact with them and you realize this mom, and in our case the mom was very, very young, had no chance whatsoever to have a normal life herself. And she was put in these situations without, without her own parents. And she didn't even know what to do. She didn't know where to turn. She didn't know how to act. And you realize this mom, who is so easy to judge, is this helpless person that has been abused and mistreated and, by the way, judged over and over and over again. And if you have the world around you telling you are this, you are this, you are this. You know what it's easy to do? It's easy to just live that identity that everybody is placing on you. It's easy. Because that's all anybody expects of you. And you realize that this person, this human, this person made in the image of God is full of nuance and full of complexity and, and deserving of love and deserving of mercy. And yes, maybe the state does have to take the kids away and we have to figure this all out. But man, this is a person made in the image of God. And we just felt so good just judging them right and left. And when we do that, more often than not, we're revealing something about ourselves something about the way that we think and the way that we view the world. I mean, it's a, it's a miracle that, that people in the circumstances, in, in, in our case in particular, it's a miracle that people make it through and do okay because of, they have been shot down, shoved down, shoved aside at every turn, every turn. And then they've got a bunch of us in the audience judging them and it's not helpful. It doesn't do them any good, and it doesn't do us any good. See, when our culture uses the term, do not judge, what they are saying, 
It's not what Jesus was saying. What they are saying is you have no right to regard their sin as evil or deadly. Do not judge. You can't tell them that what they're doing is wrong. But when Jesus uses the phrase do not judge, he's saying you have no right to regard their sin as a reason to disregard or to mistreat or condemn them. He's not saying you ignore the sin, but you cannot use that as a reason to mistreat them. And this is what the culture reacts to when they feel like Christians are judgmental. You guys are supposed to be the ones talking about love and grace and forgiveness, and you're the harshest critics. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, do not judge and do not condemn. In other words, we could say it this way. Their sin is not a good enough reason to write them off. Now, the problem is, is we're, it makes us uncomfortable because we're on, we're on one side of that. Their sin is not a good enough reason to write them off. But that is the gospel in a nutshell. That your sin, God did not consider your sin a good enough reason to write you off. That's the gospel. We love to be on the receiving end of that. Thank you, God, for not considering my sin a good enough reason to write me off. But we make this mistake. My sin wasn't quite as bad as their sin. And so, God, of course you're not going to write me off because it's not super-duper-duper bad sin. Their sin's really bad. But listen, if God's going to take that lens with everybody, then he's going to take that lens with everybody. Your sin is not a good enough... God didn't consider it a good enough reason to write you off. While you're still an enemy of his, Christ died for you. It's, it's, it's incredible that we don't... And, and then what he tells us to do is he says, okay, now you take the way you've been treated by God and you walk around the world and you treat other people that way. You interact with them that way. So when he says, do not judge, he's not saying, don't acknowledge the facts of a situation. There's sin and there's dangers and there's death and there's ugliness and there's mess. You can acknowledge that, but that's not a good enough reason to say, forget you. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's what this is all about. Now, there's so much more we could dig into in this passage. Uh, he talks the whole plank and speck and all that. I mean, that whole section right there is Jesus telling us, yes, you can go to somebody else and tell them that something in their life is not good. But before you do that, you need to deal with the stuff in your own life. That's what it's all about. He's not saying do not interact with people in that way. So I think this is what Jesus is calling us to do. He's calling us followers, and this is gonna be easy. It's no problem at all, it's super simple. All you have to do is be the most real, authentic, honest, direct, truth-telling person you can, while at the same time being the warmest, most welcoming, accepting, merciful, approachable, gracious, non-judgmental person that you can. Easy, right? No sweat, <laughs> no problem. Here's what I would say as we wrap up. I wanna, I wanna say this, and I'm gonna invite the praise team to come back up on stage if they would. This is, this is what I would say is this. God is calling us to be truth and grace in a world that has lost its grip on both. That's what God is calling us to do. He's calling you. And here's the crazy thing is that there is probably a situation in your life right now where you are tempted to or are 
dismissing someone. I can't believe they did that. I am never going to. They do not deserve my kindness. They do not deserve my generosity. They do not deserve my grace, my mercy. You're probably, you probably have a situation right now in your life. And what Jesus is asking you to do is to say, hey, how did God treat you? Think about that. And now, how should you interact with them? Would you stand and sing as we close out this morning?